0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. What an awesome morning. What an awesome morning. Well, I told you a little bit already about what today is. Today we call Compassion Sunday sometimes we ask the question, well, why do we do that? I mean, why, why would we take a day and literally have hundreds of children's faces in front of us all across the front of this altar? Why would we put those faces up in front of us? Why would we do that? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that every single one of us has a job. And our single job, as you think about it through this lens, is to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. You ask the question, well, what do I do? I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have a a lot of stuff. I don't don't feel like I'm in that place of position. And God says to every single one of us, he says, your job is to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. That in the last 24 hours, in the last 24 hours, since yesterday morning, 22,000 children died around the world from preventable diseases. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore that. We cannot know that there is a great need around the world and just sit back and say, well, it's somebody else's problem. We can't do that. We can't sit back and say, well, they probably did something to deserve it. We can't do that. We can't sit back and say, well, it's the government's problem, they need to do something about it. We can't do that because God says to every single one of us that we're to stand in the place and speak up for the voiceless. We're to stand up, as Jesus called them, for the least of these. My whole life, growing up in church and growing up around uh, stuff, my whole life, I heard about great need. As a kid, I'd see the the commercials on TV, and I'd hear the sad songs and the stories. And honestly, somewhere along the way, I got a little bit jaded. Somewhere along the way, I I, I saw all the commercials, and I saw all the stuff, and I saw all the spokespeople, and I got a little bit jaded. And I thought, well, why aren't they doing more? I mean, they're the ones with the money. It's their job. And I'll never forget where my perspective changed in a moment. Back in 2002, I took my first trip uh, to the Middle East. I went to Israel to be part of a small team that did a youth camp for teenagers that live there. And so I got there and we spent about five days doing a youth camp. There wasn't the flashy lights, there wasn't the fog machine, there wasn't a giant sound system. It was just bare bones for 60 or 70 students from across the country came together to say, we want to study God's word together. And so that week, I taught through the book of Joshua, and honestly, when I first got there, I thought, what am I going to teach these kids? I mean, they live here. They grew up here. I'm talking about Jericho. They've been to Jericho. I haven't been. I'm thinking, what, what do I have to give to them? And what I discovered quickly is, though they live in Israel and though they live in the buckle of the Bible belt, literally, a lot of those students had no hope either. Because this youth camp was offered to every single student that lives in Israel. And out of that entire country that's about the state of Alabama, 60 or 70 students actually showed up. Because they don't have resources. They don't have churches. They don't have youth groups. They're just two or three of them from each house church saying, we want hope. And My perspective changed. My perspective changed as we stood and we sung songs and we had the overhead projector with three different languages on the overhead projector, English, uh, Hebrew, and Russian. As we're singing together and on that last day as we're getting ready to leave and head to the Tel Aviv airport, I literally remember these students circling around our bus, holding hands, singing the songs that we taught them, hoping that we would not leave because they were going home to nothing. And I couldn't ignore that. I couldn't ignore that. Recently, Pastor Chuck and I went to the Dominican Republic. And so, I, you know, part of my mind, I'm thinking, all right, that's the other side of the world. Last year, Laura and I, a small team from our church, went to Kenya. I saw great need. I thought that's the other side of the world. But but recently, Pastor Chuck and I went just three and a half hours south to the Dominican Republic. Half the year, the same time zone, uh, for part of the country, a direct flight on the same side of the world. And we saw great need. I met hundreds of students that when they go home, they don't have power, they don't have running water, they don't have enough food to make it, they don't even have clean water. They have to travel miles by foot, hoping that they can afford it. And I determined, I can't ignore that. And so I've wrestled with it growing up in, in a society that says, well, that's somebody else's problem. Give that away to the government. Let somebody else stand in the gap for them. And what began to happen for me is I begin to say, well, what does Jesus say about this? Does Jesus say we need to throw more money at the government and say, government, it's your job to fix it? And I'd say, no, he doesn't say that. Does Jesus say, well, just ignore it, just go on as life as usual and live the American dream? Is that what Jesus says? No. Here's what Jesus says in one of the most famous sermons he's ever preached. In Luke chapter 6, where Jesus has gathered all of these disciples around him. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people that have been listening to him, that have been following him, that have been hanging around him and At this point in his ministry, he takes from that crowd of people, he calls out 12 disciples, he calls out 12 followers of him, and after, right after he calls them, he begins to invest in them. He begins to pull them out of their culture. He begins to pull them out of their lifestyle. And he begins to tell them, this is what it looks like to be part of kingdom living. This is what it looks like to take on a different ethic. Not the ethic of the world, but the ethic of my kingdom. And as Jesus is saying this, and as he's investing in them, in the twelve, and in the hundreds that were on the outskirts listening in, Jesus turned their world upside down. What Jesus said to them on that day was shocking. What Jesus said on that day would have turned their mindset upside down because as Jesus began to teach, what does it mean to be a God follower? What does it mean to live out the kingdom ethic? Here's the words of Jesus. Luke 6, verse 20. He says, blessed are you who are poor. Immediately when they heard that, there had been silence in their area. Immediately when they heard that, there would have been this, what? what? What What are you talking about? Because immediately when Jesus began to teach and he said, bless, their minds would have rushed ahead. Their, their idea of blessing in their culture was to have great wealth. Their idea of a blessed life was to have lots of children and to be able to pass on their legacy. And their idea, it was to own land. And their idea, they had a very specific idea of what it meant to be blessed by God. I'm going to have a great name, I'm going to have a lot of land, I'm, I, I'm going to have uh, people that come after me, ancestors, I'm going to leave a legacy. But when Jesus says blessed, he doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say blessed are those that have more money than the people around them. He doesn't say blessed are those that have the biggest house. He doesn't say blessed are those that have a lot of stuff. What Jesus says is blessed are the poor. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus take people that that most of the time are pitied and people that are normally marginalized? Why would Jesus do that? What did Jesus know about the poor that you and I need to know about the poor? Why would Jesus say Blessed are the poor. And the, 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 the solution or the answer that I've come to is that they are too poor to ignore. Here's what Jesus knew. Number one, if you want to jot these down, number one, Jesus related to the poor. Jesus related to the poor. When Jesus saw poor people around him, Jesus didn't separate himself from them. Jesus didn't ignore them. Jesus didn't brush them off and say, well, it's somebody else's job. When Jesus saw the poor, he related to them. He recognized that it wasn't their fault. He recognized it wasn't their fault. He recognized that in their lives, they didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I want to be poor. I think I'll be poor. He recognized that they didn't wake up and say, you know what, I want to be born on some remote part of the planet where there's not access to medical care, where there's not access to clean water, where there's not access to education, where there's not access to the gospel. They did not choose that. When Jesus saw the poor, Jesus saw them as victims of this broken world, he saw them as victims. The reason why that hit me so hard this last week is because I grew up With sort of this mentality, I would have never said it, but inside of me, I thought that most of the time when somebody's poor, I thought they did something to deserve it. I thought they squandered away what they had. I thought, well, they must be lazy. They must not. And what I discovered in scripture, there are over 200 verses that talk about the poor. Over 200 verses talk about people living in poverty and 80 or 90% of those verses say that it's not their fault. See, in my mind, I was always thinking, well, look at the actions they're doing. Look at how they're living. Well, of course they're poor. They're doing all these crazy things. But what the Bible shines a light on is most of the time, 90% of the time, the actions of the poor are not what caused them to be poor. The activities that they're doing is not what caused them to be poor. Their actions are a response to being poor. Does that make sense? Their actions are a result of poor. They're living in extreme poverty. And so they're living in extreme poverty, not a lot of food, not a lot of clothing, not a lot of shelter, not a lot of clean water, not a lot of gospel, not a lot of hope. And so you live in that kind of culture where the world looks at that person and says, well, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough influence, you don't have enough good looks. You know what the world does in the middle of that? The world throws those people away and says, we don't have any use for you. So imagine somebody living in that environment and they're saying, what can we do? Where Chuck and I were is one of the sex trade capitals of the world. The Dominican, they're beautiful people. They are gorgeous people, but they don't have a lot of hope. And so one of the stories that came out of our trip is that what happens often to a family that doesn't have money, that doesn't have clothes, that doesn't have basic necessities, they hope that their child will become a prostitute. They hope that they'll make money to make ends meet. And this is sick, but it's true. They hope that maybe somebody from the States or somebody from Europe will come in and buy their child, take them back home, and they're hoping that their kid will be exposed to better living outside of their country and send money back. That kid did not vote on that. That kid did not say, hey, this is what I want to do when I grow up. They are desperate. Jesus related to them. Jesus knew it wasn't their fault. The second thing that Jesus knew is that they they needed to be reached. Jesus reached the poor around him. When Jesus says this in in Luke chapter 6, he says, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. Well, the people around him weren't all physically poor. The people around him weren't all economically poor. He had the disciples. He had hard-working fishermen. He, He had Matthew, the tax collector. They weren't all physically poor. And what Jesus shows to us is that poverty isn't just an economical thing. Poverty isn't just a financial thing. Poverty isn't just a physical thing. That poverty at its core is a spiritual problem. And so when Jesus is looking at that crowd and he says, blessed are you who are poor, what Jesus is doing is he's putting all of us on an equal playing field. What Jesus is saying is every single one of us come into this world separated from God because of our sin. Every single one of us come into this world bankrupt, that we're all in spiritual poverty. And so when Jesus looked at that, he reached them. Jesus spent time with them. Jesus invested in them because Jesus recognized that on the, on, on the playing field of earth, none of us are better than anybody else. In my mind, sort of subconsciously, I thought, well, it's us and them. It's us and them. It's me and them. And what, what, what Jesus says to all of us is that we're not better than anybody else. We didn't do anything to be born here. We didn't do anything to be born in this culture. We're not better than them, and so it's our job to reach them. And one of the ways I saw that, one of the ways that I saw the, that we're all the same as is, is two weeks ago when we were there Pastor Chuck, part of the trip was teaching three or four hundred high school students. And as he stood up, he taught them about leadership skills, and he taught them about serving, and he taught them about what it means to live sort of an ordered life. As he got to the end of that, you could see students leaning in. You could see students just hungry, 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 not exposed to this all the time. And so they're, they're hungry, they're engaged, and at the end of that session... He did something that we're used to here. And if you've been coming for a while, you know one of the things that is powerful is when Pastor Chuck gets up at the end of the service and he prays a blessing over us. Well, I got to see him do that for three or 400 Dominican kids, and I got to see hope begin to rise up. See, Jesus related to the poor. He recognized it wasn't their fault. Number two, Jesus reached the poor. It wasn't an us and them. It was, we're in this together. Then big point number three is that he resourced the poor. He resourced them. He says that they are blessed. He doesn't say cursed. He doesn't say outcast. He doesn't say uh, get away from me. Jesus called them blessed. In our culture, we bless those that have money. We bless those that have popularity. We bless those that are doing pretty well for themselves. But Jesus flips it upside down, and he calls those people that don't have enough to make ends meet, he calls those people that don't have any skills, resources, or looks that the world says they value, those that have been thrown away, he calls them blessed. In fact, Jesus was often drawn to those people, wasn't he? Seems seemed like everywhere he went, the, 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 the people that were on the, on the fringes of society came to him. And it made the religious people uncomfortable. The religious people wanted everybody to look a certain way and be a certain way. But Jesus said, anybody can come to me. He resourced them. But he also rescued them. He rescued them. Just a couple of chapters before Jesus preaches this message. He gets up and he preaches this powerful, he he makes this powerful declaration. When Jesus is first starting his public ministry, he walks into the temple. He stands up, he takes the scroll that was handed to him. He unrolls it and listen to what Jesus says as a declaration of his life verse. He says this in Luke 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the who? to the poor. So when Jesus looked around and he saw people in poverty, physical poverty, economical poverty, spiritual, social poverty, he didn't brush them off. He didn't say, well, it's somebody else's job. Jesus saw his life mission as rescuing them. He saw his life mission as rescuing them. That he reached into their dark situation and he pulled them up out of it. That every, every time he saw somebody with sickness, every time he saw somebody going through drama, every time he saw somebody in poverty, he saw them as a victim of this broken, sin-filled world that we're in. And instead of ignoring them, he stepped into the middle of their story and he rescued them. And that's what we're inviting our church to do today all across the front of this stage are hundreds of children's faces that to us may seem like a picture in a packet to us may seem like some abstract idea for some of us it may seem like some somebody else's job somebody else's problem but when Jesus sees these packets he sees somebody that needs to be rescued he needs somebody to be to stand in the gap and say i Pick this child. When I was in the Dominican, I got to meet hundreds of kids whose faces were on these packets. Hundreds of kids that come from families without food, houses without proper walls or ceilings, places without water and power. I got to see that tangible difference that $38 a month makes in the life of a child. And I came back home more convinced than ever that these kids are too poor to ignore and you and I, we're too blessed not to invest in their lives. See, I grew up thinking, well, it's somebody else's problem. And Jesus says, no, it's the problem of the church. I grew up thinking, well, I don't have enough money to do $38 a month. And Jesus showed me that the things that I spend my money on, just a, a fancy drink, a, a fancy coffee house, uh, a, a week, my luxury could be somebody else's necessity. And I thought, well, well, I, I don't know if this kind of program works. What I saw with my own two eyes is kids that came through the program and they said I, they, they are proof that this works. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to rescue hundreds of kids out of poverty in the name of Jesus. But before I do, I want you to watch this video and see the proof. It's exactly what we want to do today. We want to prove it. We want to prove that we take what Jesus takes seriously, seriously within our own church. I'm going to invite the people that are going to help us with our Compassion Sunday. If you'll go ahead and make your way. Down here, but literally across the front of the stage are hundreds of packets just like this one. This isn't a random packet, this picture is a real picture of a real child. Most of these packets are from the Dominican, and literally in a year from now, my prayer is that I'll take a team of people that have proved it today that have said, Hey, I want to sponsor, I want to rescue this child. My prayer is in a year from now, I'll be able to take you on a three and a half hour flight to the Dominican to do a mission trip and to meet your child, to meet your child. Some people ask, well, what's involved in sponsoring child? What I'm gonna do in a few moments, we're gonna stand and when we stand, as Hector and Sam lead us, I'm gonna invite you to leave your seat and just make your way down to the front and just walk by these packets, walk by these faces and ask God, God, who is it you would have me rescue? Because we already know we're spending $38 a month on stuff that we don't need. We already know that we don't even have to pray about this. Jesus already told us this is something he cares about. We don't have to pray about it. We just need to say, God, who is it you would have me rescue This morning, just before the service, Laura picked out this packet. This is who Laura and I are going to rescue this day. and I'm going to invite you to do that. All you have to do is, in a moment when we stand, you're going to come, and our compassion people are just going to be spread out across the front. They can answer any questions you have. But literally, all you have to do is pick a packet. And then once you've picked that packet, take it back to your seat. And when you pull it out, there's a commitment form that I'm going to ask you, as soon as you sit down, begin to fill that out. Even if people are standing, even if people are doing something else, I'm going to invite you to begin to fill this form out. And it will ask you, what is your commitment? Most people commit to $38 a month to say, I want to provide food, I want to provide the gospel, I want to provide hope for the student. And then after you filled this out, there's opportunity for you to, to put it on your charge card where automatically once a month it comes right off your charge card. If you want to do that, you're welcome to do that off of your debit card. Just fill that out. Or if you want to put a check or if you want to put cash, there's an envelope that you can do that. Literally, you just fill out this form, you rip off the top, you keep the bottom one, you rip off the top, if you've got cash or you've got a check, put it in the envelope, and at the end of the service, you'll put it in a basket on the way out the door. If you've got a credit card, you don't even have to fool with the envelope, you just fill out your form, rip off the top, and place it in the basket on your way out. We'll give you those instructions in a few moments, but here's what I want to ask us to do. Let's stand together, and I want to pray for this moment. So I think literally God is opening our hearts to his heart a heart for the poor. If you're part of the compassion team if you don't mind just sort of spread out and face the crowd and they're here just to help you. they're here just to answer any questions that you might have. But literally what I want to do is I want to pray for us after we pray, I'm going to invite you Sam and, and Hector lead us just to come down and find a packet, find a packet. As soon as you find that packet take it back to your seat, fill out your form. Keep the bottom copy of the form and give the top form on your way out. We're not going to leave yet. We're going to give you some closing instructions. In fact, I'm going to ask Pastor Chuck to pray over us today at the end. But let's pray for what God wants to do today. Father, all across this room, I believe you're turning hearts to those that need help today. Father, I pray across this room there would be literally... Hundreds of individuals or hundreds of families or college students that go in with another college student, teenagers that join together with somebody else from their group to say, together we want to rescue a child. Father, I pray that you'd cause these pictures not just to be abstract pictures but they'd be pictures of children that we can help rescue. Father, I can only imagine what it must sound like to a child to hear somebody tell them you've been rescued. You've been chosen. You're in because somebody in Sugar Hill rescued you. Father, would you draw many to adopt a child today? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Right now, as we begin to sing, you don't have to wait on anybody else to move. You don't have to wait on any other instructions. If you're ready to say, I want to help rescue, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to come all across this room. I'm going to invite you to find a packet, to take it back to your seat, begin to fill it out, and we'll give you more instructions. Let's sing together. Let's worship Him as we do this.